As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I'm going to do a little history here because it is most important. Without question, most important. This is the Bloomberg the Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Thomas Jonathan Honig Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each Chairman day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance on Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always. I'm Tom, wonderful to have you with us today. And the I want to go back to the app. sweat right now in the advent of your Fed, which was when United Copper blew up in 1907 and J.P. Morgan sat in a study of a house built by Felt Dodge Money and tried to bail out the financial system. That is the age-old distrust of agrarian America with the fancy people in New York. Is the history repeating itself now with the fancy people in Silicon Valley and, for that matter, the fancy people in Zurich, Switzerland? Well, that's a a bit of a stretch. I would say that um, what's what's really happening is the classic um, night that follows day because we had a a lot of very uh, smart, knowledgeable people uh, who – pursued a policy over the last decade or more of a very accommodative, highly accommodative monetary policy with very low interest rates for an extended period of time. And when you do that, if you think back over every crisis, when you do that for a long period of time and inflation of assets and uh, prices rise, uh, you end up having to tighten policy. And uh, that means all these asset values take downward pressure. And that's what we're seeing today. That's what we saw back then. Right. And that's what we saw in the 80s. And that's what we saw in the 2008 period. Is this so. because of the financialization of America and that some of these troubled banks are sort of kind of like banks where they're catering to the elite, to the haves, to the have-nots, creating immense distrust politically in Washington, creating immense distrust away from where the elite live? Well, what they're doing, I think, is um, w- when you have this kind of speculative, I mean, this is this this kind of policy invites speculation. So, no, it's not just the elites. It's those who are saying, hey, I'm going to take advantage of this, whether you're in the Midwest or uh, in, in the agrarian part of the nation or you're on the East Coast, you, know, you take advantage of this. And then when the problem comes and here's where the I think the resentment comes, uh, you bail out. You bail out banks, you bail out some banks, uh, and that's what we have with too big to fail from the last time through, and it still continues today. And those who are in the uh, smaller uh, communities who are not bailed out uh, become or, or lose their job as a result of having to tighten policy so much, they become very resentful and blame it uh, to some extent rightfully on, on the elites who supposedly 
know all this. I'm often asked, you know, Tom, you know, these are really smart people. You should just let them, you know, figure this out for you. And I say, well, that's smart. Why are we in this mess? So it's, 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 I think there needs to be a lot of humility in the policy making business because uh, it, it often goes south when you get too cocky, too confident. Thomas, let's talk about the moment that we have at hand, because you have incredible expertise, both as a former head of the Kansas City Federal Reserve, as well as the head of the FDIC. And I'm curious about whether your suspicion is there is a more significant risk that uh, authorities are trying to stave off by some of the actions overnight. In other words, what do you make of the criticism that they took a bazooka to uh, to basically an itch? Well, uh, I would like to be able to say that too, that it wasn't as systemic, but there was, uh, with this event, a great uh, uncertainty raised about banks, especially regional banks. And so uh, if I were sitting at that table, as much as I would not wanted to, but in a crisis, you do what you have to do. Uh, and I would have gone along with that. I think, I think yes, but there and they are trying to avoid further problems down the road because when you raise interest rates by a factor of at least twenty-five uh, in it less than a year, the assets—it's not just those government bonds uh, with duration risk that are taking hits. There are other assets, and everyone knows that. That's why you see this uncertainty continue. There's a whole asset on the portfolio of these banks. And those are going to be under pressure with this higher interest rate and with the likely slowing of the economy. And so that's really what they're trying to, to do. Yes, we're going to, the depositors say, don't run, let's, let's not make this thing worse. Uh, and that's what you do in a crisis. Well, uh, go ahead. I'm well, sorry. No, but I guess that the concern that some people have is, okay, this is a crisis response, but on the flip side, you're creating long-lasting policy without actually creating it. And this goes to ensuring all deposits above $250,000. The, the thinking, okay, let's protect all those small businesses so that they can meet payroll. Is there a consequence to having a de facto policy implied by the actions without it being codified or even paid for by some of these banks? Well, yes. I mean, you, you have set the expectation today. I mean, everyone's going to be uh, protected. Every depositor is going to be protected. That's if you, if you walk away from that now, you are going to create a heck of a, of a crisis. So, yes, that is pretty clear. And what they're trying to do is with these special facilities, lending facilities, say, hey, we'll take your assets at par, especially the so-called government bonds. Uh, so that there's there's liquidity coming into the system. And if there are other problems in other assets, you were talking about commercial real estate earlier. Well, at that point, they're going to have to step up and and protect these these depositors because that's the expectation. If you don't do it, you're going to have a major problem on your hand. The issue is we never learn from the mistake. I mean, everyone I've, I've heard this on this program and others that capital is just you know we're well capitalized. Well. Uh, if you were well capitalized, you wouldn't have this kind of uncertainty in the in the system. So you're well capitalized for good times, but can you really take the shocks? Liquidity, liquidity is follows capital because when people become uncertain about your your solvency, they run, and then your liquidity problem forces the issue. So we have to, you know, we're going to have to get through this, and the government's going to intervene. But if we don't learn on the other side of this. To, to, to watch our monetary policy, uh, our supervision, we need stronger capital. These liquidity recovery ratios, we have to make sure they're actually liquid because we say bonds are risk-free. Well, they're not duration risk-free. So we, we better do a different 
a better job on the other side of this immediate uh, panic uh, if we're going to avoid them in the future. Got to get through the storm first, Thomas. This was fantastic. Great to catch up with you, sir. Thank you. Thomas Honick there, the former FDIC vice chair. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising healthcare costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Our team has just done a great job, guest after guest, as we just spoke with the former president of the Kansas City Fed. John and I are going to force a data check here. John, I'm going to go to the two-year yield of 4.15%. It's in a little bit, but it's not giving me the theater that we see in some of the printings for the banks. Do you want the theater of the two-year over the last week? Because I can bring it to you if you like. We're unchanged on a two-year this morning. Yesterday, up 27 basis points. Wednesday, down 36. Tuesday, up 27. Monday, down 61. When was the last time you saw a week like that, Lisa, in the bond market? Well, in terms of implied Nuts. volatility, 2008. Nuts. It's like arrhythmia. You look at the chart, it looks like an arrhythmic kind of, uh, you know, problem with your heart. Right now, we're going to jump to it with our guest, Anastasia Amoroso. She's chief investment strategist at iCapital, but with a brilliant note out in the last 24 hours of where we are. Anastasia, you take a much broader view. You've always done that with JP Morgan and others, and you're out in searching for shadows globally this morning of these traumas. What's the shadow you're most focused on? 
Uh, well, it's in the U.S. banking sector. And we were talking about whether SVB and Signature Bank are idiosyncratic issues. I don't think they're idiosyncratic issues. I think there is a broader problem. There are some very specific things that went wrong at those two banks. But if you take a step back, take let's take stock of what's happening as the Fed is raising rates. First of all, depositors have other options. And if you look at the online savings rate, for example, it is much higher than what you're getting on your checking accounts or your savings accounts. So depositors are looking for other options. And as a result, as those deposits go out, the banks are having to sell their either available for sale securities, or now the fear is that they're going to have to sell some of their held to maturity securities. And that means a new wave of markdowns. So this is, I mean, this is systemic, or at least it's broad-based. And this is why I think the market is having a hard time saying, yes, this is it, this is over, because what we've seen is sort of a patchwork, a piecemeal approach of regulation. And we said the depositors of these two institutions don't have to worry about their deposits. And we sort of have an implicit guarantee, but implicit may not be enough. Next steps, Federal Reserve meets next week. If they met today and had to make that decision, what on earth would they do? I mean, it is such a coin toss, but the more I thought about it this week, the more I think they have to pause. It is a very different story, I think, in the U.S. versus the ECB. The ECB has pre-committed to 50 basis points, and the ECB can look at all the capital ratios and liquidity ratios of their banks and say, our banking system is fine, and our rates are not at 4.75%, and Credit Suisse is truly unique and different. But you look at the U.S. and you say the banking system broadly is experiencing strain under these level of rates. And, you know, the, the confidence signal of 25 basis points, I don't really think that goes that far. The biggest signal of confidence would be to say we are attuned to the issue. We want to take the time to make sure we have the right approach in place before we resume the rate hiking cycle. To me, that would be the best approach. The economic argument that they could make, that a lot of uh, economists are making, is that you are seeing a rapid tightening in financial conditions in the heels of this, that you're not seeing the same kind of credit that is uh, given over to smaller businesses. Given all of your experience in the private markets world, do you see this distress starting to spread in a way that Larry Fink is describing, saying that that's the next shoe to drop? Uh, not yet, and certainly not broadly, but I think it will impact pockets of private markets. So, for example, the SVB, the reason why, you know, this is such a big deal for the startup community is forget the deposits. Deposits are safe, but what about the lines of credit? What about the loans that some of these VC-backed companies were able to get that they wouldn't have gotten from some of the bigger banks? So who's going to step in and fill the void? Now, I do happen to think that people will step in. I think there's a lot of venture capital that has been raised that has to be deployed. But guess what, Lisa? It's not going to be deployed at the same valuations. And if you look at the early stage VC valuations, this sort of did never went up to the levels that the late stage venture did. You know, we'd had a huge surge in 2021. So I think the deals may still be getting done. VCs may be the providers of liquidity, but they're going to demand a pretty steep haircut and a discount on those valuations. So base case now for many people and a stage risk that growth gets hit. With that in mind, what do you play for at the moment in this equity market? Yeah, so maybe I'm a bit contrarian on this standpoint. I mean, I do agree with Lisa that this is a deflationary development and that the banks will tighten lending standards and they'll pull back on lending over time. But John, if you look at the economy today, we came into the year, the consensus did, expecting 0% GDP growth. The last I checked, which was yesterday, Atlanta GDP Fed, uh, the projection now for Q1 is 3.2% GDP growth. This is an economy, this week aside, that sees consumer confidence that has been rising. The new manufacturing 
manufacturing orders that are picking up and the economy is actually fine. So I think that explains the resilience why we've that we've seen in the market. That's why we hang around this $4,000, $3,900 level because the economy is fine. And I think the market is betting that this banking issue is going to make the Fed at least pause. So for now, you know, I, I can't say we're going to see immediate new lows in the market. But at the same time, I think how this ultimately plays out is hopefully the banking issue is fixed and then the Fed gets back to its inflation fighting mandate. And then we have this major repricing that needs to happen, you know, back from whatever the terminal rate is at now, 4.6% back to 58 maybe to 6.5%. So that's a big repricing that's probably coming for the market, let's say, later this year. That's how wide the range of outcomes <laughs> are right now, potentially. Anastasia, thank you. Anastasia Amoroso there of iCapital. Thank you. We got eight ways to go uh, uh, with our guest here, John. I'm going to cut it. I'm going to give you an anecdote, John, and then you guys can pick up the adult conversation with Gerard Cassidy, who's been fabulous with this this week, and particularly interpreting Senator Warren's comments. Gerard, you and I have lived this. You're in Swellsley, Massachusetts, and you need a jumbo on the new place up the coast of Maine in Bar Harbor. Right now, there's an $11 million property up there. And I need a five million jumbo and you go down Washington Street in Wellesley and you waltz into First Republic Bank and you get a five million dollar jumbo over a cup of coffee. Is that what we're bailing out? Tom, thank you again for having me on the program. And I would say I don't think that's exactly what we're bailing out. But yes, they are definitely a jumbo mortgage lender. But they're also a a financial advisor. They a wealth manager, and that is certainly part of it all. The the key, though, is I think it's more the contagion risk that people are worried about, that if you allow any of these very large banks to become insolvent and the depositors are at risk, you, you certainly worry about the contagion risk, which is, of course, what we have worried about in past crises, whether it was the 0809 crisis or even the 1990 crisis. Jared, I think a lot of people in America are finding the communication at the moment from authorities to be somewhat confusing. They have implied at some level that all depositors will be made whole. They have implied at some level that regardless of size, most financial institutions in this country would carry that systemic risk exception. And yet there is still nervousness, Gerard. What on earth can authorities do when it comes to tackling those issues? I think, John, what we're going to see is obviously each day beyond the failures of those two banks last weekend will give us some calm in the markets. People are still jittery. But in my conversations with um, bank managements this week, what we saw and heard was that, yes, depositors were very uh, angst on Monday. But as the week went on, things started to calm down a little bit. So I think what we'll see is time will help heal some of these wounds. But you're right about the communication part of it. It has been at times um, confusing. And I think they need to get a stronger message out there that for the time being, in a period of uncertainty, uh, the Federal Reserve, the FDIC and Treasury will be there more explicitly than they said on Sunday. Jared, the public might hear numbers like 153 billion dollars come from the so-called discount window at the Federal Reserve. And and Joe, there might be people tuning in this morning, listening, watching this program, finding all of that quite scary. There are these two facilities, Gerard. There is the discount window. It's been around a long, long time. There was a new facility introduced on Sunday evening, BTFP, the Bank Term Funding Program. 
In really simple terms, Gerard, can you explain those big numbers we heard yesterday afternoon? John, they're, they're incredible numbers. But when you put it on the banking system, and if you just look at total deposits in the banking system, they're around $17, $18 trillion. It's hard for any of us to get our arms around a number, a trillion dollars. So our system is gigantic. And these numbers that you just referenced on the discount window borrowings that were announced yesterday are very large. But the economy and the system is extremely large. So putting it in that perspective, the numbers, I think, are more manageable. But, you know, just seeing that absolute number, $150 plus billion is a big number. Gerard, this one French policy expert quoted in the Financial Times highlighted the sort of insignificance, relatively speaking, in terms of the scope of some of these banks that are being rescued by authorities, saying this is the U.S. version of small Venetian banks. You are always systemic for somebody. Do you think that that criticism is valid? I I think to some extent it is. I mean, we still have, as you know, Lisa, over 4,600 banks in the United States. And unfortunately, if a $50 million bank, if there's any banks that small were to go insolvent, it wouldn't cause the repercussions that a $200 billion bank did. So even though the $200 billion bank is smaller relative to JP Morgan or um, Bank America, as you all know, this was the second largest bank failure in U.S. history. It's a big bank, even though relative to our big guys, it's not. So they certainly need to put in control, con- further controls and procedures. More liquidity might be required. More capital might be required. But the industry is definitely going to see more regulation as a result of what we just came through. Is there a bigger problem, Gerard, that people are kind of hinting at but not addressing directly, which is that the disproportionate amount of commercial real estate, as Tom has mentioned many times, of, of, of individual loans, of sort of the riskier assets that bigger banks have gotten out of, that that concentration has regulators and authorities very concerned about smaller and regional banks and the potential contagion and the consequences? We, Lisa, we're always worried about commercial real estate. If you go back in time, before even Tom and I were doing this in the 1800s, um, commercial real estate's always been a problem for banks during a crisis, and it has to be managed uh, effectively. And to do that, you have to, to your point, you need to keep the concentration risks in a manageable state. You cannot have a bank that has 75% of their assets in commercial real estate loans. So commercial real estate, it's going to potentially be challenging in the urban markets for downtown class B and C space. But overall, you know, most commercial real estate is underwritten very conservatively. And should there be some higher delinquencies and charge offs, I think the system will handle it uh, effectively with the levels of capital in the system today. Jared, next steps, options. What do you think they are? John, really good question. And I, I would tell you, we anticipate that more of the smaller regionals will be required to carry more liquidity. You might be familiar with something called the LCR, the liquidity coverage ratio, where the banks have to hold up to 30 days of money that they would handle a run on the bank. These are our giant GSID banks, as they're referred to, like a JP Morgan and Bank America. I see more banks being required to do that. You heard a lot about this AOCI, accumulated other comprehensive income. That's where the unrealized gains and losses go for securities. For the biggest banks, they deduct that through regulatory capital. We expect the smaller banks to be required to do that as well. Third, we also expect 
that the industry will have to pay higher fees to the FDIC to build up the insurance fund, especially if they raise the limit on insurance um, on the deposits to $500,000. That will be costly to the industry as well. What is it about a crisis and new acronyms, Tom? Always. You're Always, right, just like a long I mean, I mean, list, right? You know, I mean, yeah. Jared did a great job of explaining it. Jared, thank you, sir. Jared Cassidy but- there of RBC. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common... It's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. We're going to jump into this right now and continue this discussion with Avaro Santos Pereira, well-timed chief economist at OECD, and we're now supposed to have a dry, boring discussion about what OECD looks like forward on economic growth. Amid bank crisis, we will not do that, and we can do that because he is schooled and is taught at the University of British Columbia and Simon Fraser, which truly owns a high ground on this arcane world of econometrics. Elvaro, we have a bank crisis going on. We have different shades of bank crisis going on. Will that diminish global GDP? Do you just assume with financial fragility, things tighten up even in China and we see a dampening to economic recovery? 
Well, Tom, uh, well, thanks very much. So first of all, I think it's important to say that we see a fragile recovery going on. Basically, we uh, we've been we see some positive news in terms of uh, activity and in terms of confidence uh, all across the world, in fact. And we see some good news regarding inflation, which it's came down in terms of headline, but even though core remains a bit fixed uh, and sticky, and service inflation is a bit sticky. So we've been thinking about exactly what what is the the the, the, the impact. Uh, we think at this stage, the last few days, uh, the impact has been mostly on the risk side. That is, risks have certainly increased in terms of financial stability, and uh, the risks overall they are more tilted to, our, uh, to, to the downside. But at this stage, we think that it's very important to say that we are undertaking and undergoing <coughs> an, a, 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 right. um, a, a tentative or a fragile recovery that is ongoing. I know it's inappropriate for you as an institution and you as a chief economist of OECD to second guess central banks as well. But if we're in the interest rate structure we're in now, and particularly ex-Japan, can you state at OECD that in a general statement, we are restrictive in our global monetary policy? Well, we can say that uh, in spite of the turbulence of the past few days, our big uh, problem still is inflation. And so we think that we need to be more data-driven, which means that central banks for sure need to see whether what they need to do in regarding price stability, but also financial stability. Uh, and you can see that many countries have, have followed different approaches. I'll give an example that even before the past few days. Uh, Brazil uh, had a big increase in inflation. <coughs> Their central bank was very forceful. Their core and the headline inflation is coming down. So they are taking a breather now. Uh, the Bank of Canada, in the last two meetings, they decided to, well, let's look at the data first. We've done a lot. So let's see if it is enough. And so I think central bank for central bank will have to decide what to do. Uh, right now, this important to say in terms of financial stability, this is not 2008. Uh, important to say that banks are in better, much better shape than they used to be. Uh, regulations also in many countries and, and monetary authorities are way more active than they, they used to be. So even though, yes, there are risks and there are some um, uh, episodes that a financial volatility that uh, could potentially continue. We do think that right now we don't have a uh, we don't see systemic risk uh, uh, still on 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 the on the cards. When does it rise to that risk? When does something break from your vantage point? Well, I think what matters is that uh, uh, it, it will be exactly if we have really bad news uh, uh, regarding either the inflation front, and that would that would mean. Uh, that uh, rates would have to go higher than anticipated, or if there's uh, an unexpected event. Right now, as I said, uh, what we see in terms of our risks is that even though they are tilted to the downside, uh, the economy is starting to have, you know, it's not only the United States, it's, it's also in Europe and China and a few other countries in which we start seeing some positive uh, signs out there. So I think it's important to keep the eye on the ball and, and understand that in spite of the, the very short run for volatility, um, we, we still think that um, uh, at this stage, the economy is slowly getting back on their feet. Alvaro, the market disagrees. And this is sort of what I found really notable over the past couple of days. We've seen a huge <coughs> repricing in Fed policy going forward. We have seen a huge repricing in expectations for inflation and for growth, at least based on the markets. Right now, people are basically expecting Fed funds rates are showing uh, basically one more hike than done, than almost 100 basis points still of rate cuts. What are you saying? What are you seeing that is so different to that scenario that markets are currently pricing in? Well, looking at fundamentals. And so uh, I understand the markets. And of course, um, uh, the, sometimes uh, markets 
um, get overreact sometimes. Obviously, they are on, on the ball, but I, we th we think that we need to look at fundamentals. And for us, the fundamentals are: how is the economy looking in terms of labor market? How is the economy doing in terms of financial uh, stability front? And also, how's the economy doing in terms of um, activity indicators? And what we see right now is that yes, it's true that very likely because of the turbulence of the past few days, it's very likely that, for example, in financial institutions <coughs> might become a bit more conservative uh, uh, right. in the lending procedure. It is very possible that uh, we might have a few volatility in a few uh, in a few financial institutions, but at this stage we don't see systemic risk on on on, on the table. From Paris, with the purview of the OECD, Alvaro Santos Pereira with us, their chief economist. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday, starting at 7 a.m. Eastern, on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app. Tune in and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.